Good morning. I'm just going to go and stand up here this morning because I've got quite a few things to, uh, to announce. First of all, welcome. Glad you're all here this morning. If there are any visitors, I encourage you to fill out a little card we have on the back table. Just give us your name and some contact information and toss it into, the, into one of the um, offering plates. It'd be great. It'll help us to, to know that you're here. It'll help us to know a little bit about you. I hope that thump wasn't anything too bad. <laughs> but just going through the um, through the announcements. First of all, um, you can see that the group that got together yesterday did did a wonderful job creating some some blankets. We have them up here because when it's time for prayer, we're going to pray over them and pray for the the people that who are going to um, to receive them. And I'm also oh, that boom was a wreck straight out here. So we'll have something else to pray for as well. <laughs> okay, so we, we got a few emergency personnel that will be able to, to help out a little bit. Yep, okay. All right, so that's why God puts certain people in certain places. He's, we're able to, to provide some help this morning, so we'll pray that. Well, let's go ahead and pray right now. You know what, let's, let's just, we don't know what's going on there, but let's pray. It just happened right in front of us, so we can't ignore it. Let's pray. Well, Father, you know what's going on. We don't. We know that somebody's hurt. We know that something has happened that wasn't supposed to happen. And so, Father, we pray that, um, that you'll guide everyone through this safely, that there won't be any kind of complications that make it even worse. We pray that traffic will slow down and that people will get by without uh, causing any more injuries. We pray that Jeff might be able to, to help out as he rushes out there to help and that others will, will get here and we'll be able to take care of those who, are, who were involved in, in the accident. Um, it's in your hands, Father. We, we just ask you to, to provide whatever's needed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some did I? Oh, there we go. I'm back. We've got these blankets. They did a great job. We're going to pray for them later. 
but I also want you to just kind of make a mental note that um, they're going to do this again on February 8th at 1 o'clock. So if you just want to kind of make a little mental note, I did see that there is a sign-up sheet out, on the, out in the lobby, um, so you can get information from there if you need it. So, okay, a little hectic here this morning. <laughs> so, also, there's going to be a ministry council meeting coming up February 9th, and anybody who needs to get their reports in, get them in, please, by Monday. You see that in the uh, bulletin. Also, two weeks from today, special congregational meeting to talk about the doors and to talk about um, the security system, fire and security system. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> um, also, okay, so then the other stuff is, is some stuff. Well, then also the Super Bowl. Don't forget about this soup competition coming up next Saturday. Well, this, this coming Saturday. It's going to be February already. So take a look at that. Make sure that you're signed up. Even if you're not bringing soup, we'd like to know that you're coming. Um, looks like we've got a, a great number of people making soup already. Remember to keep it anonymous, and we're going to have a little contest with it then. And um, as far as the games, I don't think we have any games planned. If you bring some box games or bring something along that you like to play, and maybe in the meantime we can put together, we can find some of those trivia games or things off the Internet. But, but if you have some games you like to play with a group of people, bring them along, and we'll enjoy them as well. Then this stuff that, uh, that's got my name attached to it, I want to meet with the youth, the children and the youth at Dairy Queen. It's the best place I could find to gather for, well, actually, I wanted to go there anyway. So um, February 16th, 7 o'clock, I'm encouraging all the children, all the youth to come out. I just want to, just want to connect, just want to have some fun, just want to have some ice cream with everybody. And then the next Thursday, the 23rd, the, the little bit older ones, the 18 to 29-year-olds, I'm, the 20-somethings if you will. Um, and I will not check IDs. If you want to come out and try to convince me that you're 29, that's fine. Um, but no, we'll, we'll just, I just want to reconnect. A, a lot of those, and I, and I mentioned in here, as I started to make a list of people that, are, the, the people that would be in that age group, there are a lot of them that when I was here the first time, they were youth at the time, you know, and, and they've grown up. And I just kind of like to know how, how their lives are going. So if you want to pass the word, um, and I'm going to try to get an invitation out. That's why I've been asking some birth dates and some, um, some addresses and so forth. But the idea is just, if, I, if they don't get an invitation, please, this is the invitation. So get the word out to them. I'd like to have a, an opportunity to meet with them, just catch up with them, and then see where we might go from there. I, I won't, I, I'll be totally transparent, and I would like to hopefully form some sort of a group that would be interested in you know, meeting on, like on Sunday mornings or as a Sunday school class or even just meet occasionally as a small group, and it doesn't have to be here, but whatever they, wherever they want to go with it, and if it just stays just a social gathering every two or three months, that's fine too. We'll do that. Um, and then the other thing at the top of the page in the bulletin, we do have some people who are interested in becoming members, praise the Lord. And um, so I'm gonna have, what, I, what I want to do is have a class with those people. And I want to open up the class. I want to open it up as an invitation to everybody. This class will be an opportunity for them to learn about what the denomination believes. What do we believe as a church? Because they're going to stand up here, and I'm going to ask them some questions. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? And they're going to say, I do. Well, I want them to know what they're saying I do to, you know. So, um, but it would be an opportunity for any of you as well who don't know 
who, who might not even understand exactly what we believe and so forth. So um, you're invited. Anybody who definitely would like to become a member, you're cert- definitely invited. And I'd like you to sign up out there on the sign-up sheet out on the bulletin board. I do have booklets that I want to give you, something from the denomination. It's called the EC Link. And it's something for you to read through. It'll be your homework to read through and get ready for the class. But um, as I was talking to people, I'm finding that there's even some people who come almost every Sunday, and I'm finding out that they just never became members. So, you know, if, if, if that's you and you're interested, you come to the class, and then you can make a commitment. It's not, coming to the class doesn't mean that you're committing to anything necessarily. Yeah. Um, do we? Are there any that are definitely this one? All right. Yep. Wow. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I mean, anything else you want, God? I mean, wow. This is. Forget about the sermon. God's taking over this morning. This is excellent. No, that's wonderful. I mean, so those of you who were here yesterday, how do you feel now? That's cool. That's cool. Okay, well, forget about my announcements. <laughs> Let's just praise this wonderful God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we're here this morning to praise you, and you're just giving us all kinds of reasons to recognize, hey, we live in a broken world, but hey, we're here to help each other and to live together and to praise you in this broken world. We know that you're going to take care of it. You're taking care of this small problem this morning. What's well, a big problem for those that are involved, but I mean, as far as the whole world is concerned, You're taking care of this for them this morning, and you're taking care of the whole world, and you're taking care of our future. And so, Father, we're we're very thankful for that. We're grateful, and we're here this morning to honor you. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this place this morning. We already feel it. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you, would you stand, please, and praise band and singing our praises. We all on there, Brent? I think he's on now. Sing the song of ages to the Lamb And all who've gone before us And all who will believe 
We'll sing the song of ages to the Lord. It's your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions. Your
Amen. Well, take a moment just to, to greet the person beside you. Or behind you. Did, did any of you actually see it happen? Vicky was just asking me. You looked out and could tell, yeah. Okay, well, I'll ask you to come back to your seats. We um, need to continue to pray. It sounds like they've got the situation kind of under control over there, but we've got one car that has run into the hydrant and the water's going everywhere. We've got one of the cars that was involved is up against the um, building down there. It looks like it has run into a building. So the woman that got the blanket that was out here, it sounds like she's... Under, she's got a cut, she's got a headache, but they were able to take care of her. It sounds like we're not sure exactly what, um, what the status might be of the ones that are up against, the, up against the building down there. So continuing to pray. We pray for the, the EMS the people, and everybody that's involved. I mean, it's, a, it's been busy. I've seen the traffic still go by. They've got it blocked at the moment, but um, a lot going on out there. And we're just so thankful that God got us together and got these blankets together yesterday, so. Um, any other, any other praises, prayer, well, any other prayer requests this morning? I know, I know we praise the Lord, we've got all sorts of things that, to praise Him for, but what are our prayer requests this morning? I'm sorry, okay, well, pray, yeah, go ahead, but praises are fine. Oh, wait a minute, we have, we need the microphone so that. Everybody on Zoom can hear you too. Oh, well. Well, so you're going to be second. You're going to be okay. <laughs> Never mind. You're first. Good morning. Um, ooh, booming. So we, I want to thank the church, uh, whether you knew it or not. Oh, I told you I have a loud mouth. Um, whether you knew it or not, uh, we our fridge went out uh, about 14 days ago. Um, and we had a bunch of freezer food and food that we needed to keep cold. We have had it in your fridge and freezer for 14 days. We have not had a very good working fridge. Um, it finally came this morning, so we now have a new fridge, so that is a praise. Um, and we're going to pick up our food after church today. So thank you, church, for being the church to us. Yeah, it obviously didn't get in anybody's way because I didn't have anybody come to me and say... Who- Whose food is that in? 
I did put a business card there so that you knew who to go look for if you, if you saw it. But yes, thank you for having a freezer um, that we could use while they were waiting for theirs. <laughs> Um, I guess, sorry, it's also a praise. No, that's it can okay. Be a prayer too. Praises are um, good. Praises. We're celebrating two birthdays on Monday. We have oh. a seven year old and a 37 later, year old. Later. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's yeah. always a blessing to be able to celebrate on the same day for the two of them, but also prayers for the year ahead. And yep. yeah. Well, happy birthday to those that are honest and those that are not honest. <laughs> I have a prayer request for myself. Um, I went to the eye doctor, and they found an embolism in my left eye. So they want to order tests from my family doctor to rule out the possibility of a stroke somewhere else. So just keep me in your prayers. Okay. Any others? Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we do humbly stand before you, sit before you this morning, first of all, to thank you for giving us a new day. We know that every day is a gift from you, and so, Father, I thank you, and I pray that we will use it in a way that honors you. We pray for those among our family here, our church family, who are going through pain, going through anguish, going through physical healing, preparing for surgeries, whatever whatever the situation might be. We pray especially for Crystal and what she just brought up with this embolism. Father, we pray that you'll allow those doctors to Identify it specifically. Know exactly what they're looking for. Clarify it for them so they know exactly how to take care of it. We also pray for Gary as he's home and um, just pray for his comfort and strength. And I pray for comfort and peace for all those who, as I said, are dealing with all sorts of physical, mental, emotional issues this morning. Father, we thank you for gathering us yesterday, gathering these people who, who worked so quickly and so hard on these blankets. They did it with love, and we're able to share that love with someone already this morning. Father, I pray that, that every time she holds that blanket and uses it for warmth, she'll feel your love. And I pray, too, for these blankets that are still here as they are going out to some that we've already identified, and I pray that you'll Help us to identify where each and every one should go. And again, I pray that when they, when they wrap these blankets around them, that they'll feel your arms being wrapped around them. They'll feel the love that came through us from you. Father, we thank you for the way you provide for us. We thank you for the income that we receive during the week. And we give a portion of it back now. We pray that you'll accept our offering and that you'll bless it and use it in whatever way you see fitting. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, obviously had no idea that something like this was going to happen, but I think I'm going to ask you to join me in singing our first hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And I want you to keep those people in mind as we're, 
as we're singing this morning. Hymn number 444. Well, I know that, um, that last week I warned you about dwelling on the, the good old days because you might just miss the great new days, but I am going to ask you just for a minute to go back in time with me, just, just briefly, just to see if you can remember a time when the only thing that you really did on Sunday was go to church wasn't that long ago, was it? I mean, we'd like to think it's not that long ago, because we don't want to think that we're that old, but... Getting, yeah, 
don't ruin my sermon. <laughs> but you're right. The only thing you did was go to church, go home or go to relatives, have dinner, play some games, whatever. It was a great time for fellowship with God and then fellowship with the rest of your family. Sermon done. Amen. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fine. That's perfect. Yeah, well, and the thing is, things that you have today that you didn't have back then, you, you didn't have people conducting soccer tournaments at 10 a.m., or you didn't have karate lessons at 11 o'clock, or, you know, things that were happening first thing on a Sunday morning. You didn't go to a lodge or a social club to get an all-you-can-eat breakfast on a Sunday morning, right? Just like we said, you ate whatever mom made for you, you brushed your teeth, put on your coat, hopped in the car, and you headed for, headed for church. It was also a time when you couldn't run to the department store on a Sunday because they were all closed. We had something called blue laws, right? It banned business transactions on a Sunday. There are still two very well-known businesses who are closed on Sundays. You're very familiar with them. Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A, it seems like whenever we're traveling and we're on the highway and we want to go to Chick-fil-A, we remember, ah, today's Sunday, we can't, we can't go. But we, uh, I appreciate the fact that they are still closed. On Hobby Lobby's internet homepage, they claim to be committed to several different things. They have a couple of different bullet points, but I picked out two of them. They say they're committed to, number one, honoring the Lord in all we do by operating the company in a manner consistent with biblical principles. And their other, one of the other bullet points says that they're committed to providing a return on the owner's investment, sharing the Lord's blessings with our employees and investing in our community. And if you look at Chick-fil-A's website, they have a corporate purpose printed there, and it says their corporate purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. So you've got these two major businesses, two highly visible companies that are talking about honoring the Lord, sharing the Lord's blessings, glorifying God. And one of the ways that they do that is by making a commitment to be closed on Sunday. I would say that they're probably making a commitment to keep the Sabbath day holy. So how about you? What commitments have you made in order to keep your Sabbath day holy? And what I'm really asking in my best Samuel L. Jackson way is, what's in your Sabbath? <laughs> Do you have any specific restrictions for your Sundays? I remember growing up with a rule that we couldn't do any work, and of course that's what the commandment says, but my parents had a way of defining that. We weren't allowed to, and they used the phrase, till the soil. We weren't allowed to till the soil. We couldn't dig up anything. We couldn't dig up any potatoes from the garden. We couldn't plant any flowers in the flower garden, that sort of thing. We weren't supposed to do anything other than play that might cause us to work up a sweat. So if a light bulb went out, you could do that because that doesn't take much effort. But if for some reason it's stuck or it requires some extra energy and you feel like now it's starting to become frustrating, nope, just leave it for the next day because now it's becoming work. I'm wondering if that sounds familiar to any of you. Do you have anything like that? that you grew up with, with these kind of rules about how to keep the Sabbath day holy, what you weren't allowed to do. 
And as I think about it, I certainly remember them as good memories. I remember those types of things being enforced. And it meant then that on Sundays, mostly all we did was go to church, go home, have lunch, and then go to grandma and grandpa's house or something like that. And that's fine. That's wonderful. It works out great. But as far as all these don'ts, what you can't do, and I remember one day as I was more of a teen, um, and I saw the pastor's wife outside planting flowers, and of course, all of those memories of rules and restrictions came rushing back, and she's not supposed to be doing that. But I don't really think that's what God had in mind when he commanded us to keep the Sabbath holy. These rules that we were living by were man-made rules. They were some kind of rules that my parents gave me, something that their parents probably gave them, or their parents' parents gave them, and so forth. Somebody had to find what you couldn't do on a Sunday. And actually, that's the kind of thing that we're going to see Jesus confronted with this morning in our scripture text. As I mentioned last week, we're going to follow Jesus through the book of Luke. And today we find him taking a walk with his disciples. But they get stopped. They get stopped by the Pharisees for allegedly breaking a Sabbath law. And our, So our text this morning is coming from Luke chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. But starting with the first verse. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. So I'm going to ask you to just kind of picture yourself. We're all going to be walking with the disciples. We're all walking through this grain field, and all of us are going to grab a little bit of grain, and we're going to pick some heads of grain, rub them in our hands, and and we're going to eat the kernels. Now, we're walking through somebody else's grain fields, aren't we? And we're eating somebody else's grain. Do you think that's the problem? Is that what the Pharisees are going to get all upset about? Well, it's not really the problem. Actually, it's okay, according to the law. If I look at Deuteronomy... We're given the the rule that if you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. So you can walk through, you can pick a few grapes, snack on them, just don't harvest them. Don't collect a whole bunch in your basket. Right behind it, it says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, okay, this is the one that applies to us today, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. Again, you can walk through, you can get a snack, but just don't do any harvesting. Don't take a sickle to it and carry a whole bunch of it home. So what we're doing by walking through this grain field, grabbing these heads of grain, what we're doing is perfectly legal according to God's law. So let's just keep walking. Verse 2 says, Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? What are we doing unlawful? We just, we just checked the rule book and it said that what we were doing was okay. Well, it's not that we're doing something unlawful and it happens to be we're doing it on the Sabbath. It's more that what we're doing is unlawful because we're doing it on the Sabbath. The Pharisees have something they call the Talmud. It's a commentary. It's a little bit like the commentaries that I have in in, in my library, I just grabbed one, the smallest one I could find. Just The idea is it gives us a couple of verses, and then it tells me 
their translation, their interpretation of what those verses mean. Same way with the Talmud. The Pharisees have put this commentary together to help the common Jews understand what God must have meant when he gave his commands or he gave any kind of a rule. So, for instance, God has given us the commandment to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now that happens to be the largest commandment, but it's really still fairly simple, right? Don't work, you should rest. Everybody in your family, all your animals, all your relatives, everybody should rest. So it's very simple, but apparently it was too simple. The Pharisees thought that it needed to be explained in a bit more detail. So their Talmud, their commentary, has 24 chapters that describe violations on the Sabbath. 24 chapters telling the Jewish people what they shouldn't do on the Sabbath. For instance, there were rules in there about not carrying anything that weighs more than a fig. Now, I don't know exactly how much a fig weighs, but it's not much, so I have a feeling anybody who has glasses, jewelry, carrying a Bible, how about your cell phone? <laughs> You're all violated this morning. You're all, you all have created a violation of the Sabbath this morning. Here's another interesting rule that they had. Since you're not supposed to work, and they considered walking a long distance uh, uh, to be work, the Pharisees determined that you couldn't walk more than 2,000 cubits. That's about 2,000 steps, or equivalent of about a mile. So they're saying that you couldn't walk beyond a mile. Up to that point, I guess it's just a leisurely hike. But after 2,000 steps, now it's work. You can't go past that. But it's almost as if they realized how ridiculous the rule was because they created a loophole. They have defined home as the place where you eat. That makes sense, right? But what you can do the day before the Sabbath is take some food, put it in a bowl, and you could walk out to the 1,999th step and you can set that bowl down so that now tomorrow, when it's the Sabbath, I can walk out to that bowl, eat from the bowl, now that's the place where I eat, so that's home, so I get another 2,000 steps. So if Aunt Sally lives a mile and a half down the street, that's how I can take care of getting to her place on the Sabbath. Now, I guess I have to stay there until, until the next day, but this is just the kind of stuff that they had set up that were, to us, it sounds like ridiculous restrictions, but then, like I said, they found, they found ways around them. I got one more for you, then we'll get back to our story. One of the other things that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath was carry wood. Now, that doesn't sound so bad. If you knew you needed wood, just go get the wood the day before, bring it into the house, and it's there. You're not going to carry any wood. But guess what happens if on the Sabbath, you put your hand on something, and you happen to get a splinter, a wood splinter. Well, now you can't extract that splinter, because that's work. And technically, by their rules, if you're walking around, you're now carrying wood. 
you're done. And I'm not making this up. I'm reading this out of commentaries. You're done. Now, this part I'm making up, but I guess you just have to kind of like hunker down and wait for a Gentile to walk by or something, you know, to help you out. Or, or, or a real good Samaritan happens to go by. But all of this stuff, like I said, sounds ridiculous. Now, we know, as I said last week, this is all out of their zeal, out of, out of their desire to be pious. They want to make sure they're doing it right. Just go overboard, you know, in an effort to make sure they're overly cautious. Now, there's one more. It relates to this morning's uh, text. The Talmud also defines certain violations regarding the harvesting of grain on the Sabbath. Let me read those to you. Now, there's three of them. So, violation, the first violation regarding uh, the harvesting of grain is reaping, severing a plant from its source of grain was allowed. Now, you couldn't even, you weren't even supposed to climb a tree. They, were, they, they warned you against climbing a tree because if you happen to be climbing the tree and you get too heavy on a, on a thin branch and snap that branch off, now you've just severed it from the main plant, you have now reaped. You just created a violation on the Sabbath. So no climbing trees on the Sabbath, James. You cannot climb any trees on the Sabbath. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's the idea. So they can't even enjoy themselves. They can't even go enjoy themselves for fear of doing something wrong like this. The other thing was threshing. That's the removing an undesirable outer from a desirable inner. And they give the example of like fruit, squeezing fruit and get the juice. I'm thinking of peanuts, how you got to break the shell to get to the peanuts. Nobody eats the shell. I know there's always one in every crowd that says, well, I eat the shells. Okay, but just we all know that most of us just take the shells away and we, and we toss them and now you've got, the, you've got the peanut, the part that you want to eat. Well, that's threshing. You took the outside off and you threw it away. That's threshing. Then, of course, I'm, when I have the, the peanut, I don't like those little brown, paper-thin coating on it either. Got to get rid of those, too. That's winnowing. Winnowing is sorting undesirable from desire, desirable via the force of air. So if I'm down to the peanut with a little bit of coating on it, just give it a, t- a blow, and those go away, and now I can pop it in my mouth. So the reason for Luke being ve- very detailed about what the disciples are doing back in verse 1, is because he's defining why they got into trouble. Let's go back to verse 1 if we can. Can you take us back to verse 1? We're there? Okay, great. So look at what it says. And, and let's, we're walking along with them, so let's all do this. So they go through and they pick, they pick some heads of grain. So just, just go ahead and grab yourself a whole handful of grain. There you go. We just picked them off. And of course, you heard the snap as it left the, the plant, right? Violation. You just did some reaping, right? Then rub them in your hands, okay? And what you're trying to do is break that outer piece off and have the kernels left, right? Now you're threshing. And of course, you don't want to eat the chaff, right? That chaff that's mixed in there. So give it a blow, but not in somebody's face. <laughs> but blow. Okay, now that was, that was winnowing, okay? Third violation. These guys, and what you just did, we're reaping, threshing, and winnowing. Three clear violations of the Sabbath, as defined by the Talmud, by the Pharisees. Not to mention the fact that they've probably walked more than 2,000 steps as they're just taking a walk through the grain fields on a Sabbath afternoon, I guess. So the Pharisees are saying, back in verse 2, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? 
Now, I love the fact that the Bible is historical, it's accurate, and it doesn't sugarcoat anything. We're going to look at Jesus' response, and I love the way he puts these guys in their place without really sounding obnoxious or arrogant, but he uses kind of what I like to call convicting sarcasm. In verse 3, Jesus answered to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now, I just probably read that the wrong way. That's the way I would say it. With, and I would be a little arrogant with it, I guess, and obnoxious. But he says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Of course they've read that story. They know all about that story. What Jesus is really saying is, didn't you understand it? Didn't you understand the implications? You didn't know how to apply what you've learned in that story. He goes on, because he knows they know it, but he goes ahead and summarizes it in verse 4. He, being David, entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. This is a story that we find in 1 Samuel 21. Saul's chasing David. Saul's trying to kill David, and David's on the run with a few of his loyal, loyal followers. And David ends up in a place called Nob, and he talks to a priest named Ahimelech. And after exchanging a few pleasantries, David says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever you can find. Now remember, loaves. Don't think French loaves. Don't think American loaves. Think big biscuits. Hebrew loaves, Israelite loaves, were just kind of like oversized biscuits, okay? He's just asking, do you just have five, five of these that, that we can use? Or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. And David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us. He, he answers that sort of thing. And then he says, so the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, like the presence of, of God, that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day that it was taken away. Now, we've got to understand what this is talking about. Every Sabbath, 12 loaves, biscuits, like, like we're going to get at KFC when they, get it, when they open up, right? We've got a new KFC that just came into town. So we get these 12 biscuits, 12 loaves of bread. Every Sabbath, they come to the temple, and they get placed on a special table, the table of presence. And that's, they use 12 of them to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. But when the new bread comes in, that old bread is removed. And God set up this system so that that bread then is available for the priests to eat. The priests don't earn a salary like modern-day pastors do, right? They've, they are provided for through sacrifices and through these breads and through th things that God had, had set up. God created this system. But that meant that bread was for the priest. And so he has decided that instead of him eating it, he sees these guys that need the bread, he's going to go ahead and give it to him. That old bread is what was offered to David. There was a need for provision. David was able to assure him about the, the, the rich, being ritually clean and so forth. And so Ahimelech had the authority to allow for a variance in that, in that law or that, that rule, that guideline. So why was that story even important? Why did Jesus use that story in this, in this story? Why did he use that story as his defense? Well, he's basically saying, look, 
there was a God-given rule, a God-given system, something that God had created, but it was flexible enough that it could be violated, if you will, by the priest and by David. So if David could violate a God-given rule, well, then certainly Jesus can violate a man-made rule, right? But then he really hits them with a zinger. In verse 5, Jesus said to them, and I feel like, like there should be like heavy reverb on this or something, but he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that doesn't say a lot to us, that doesn't offend us, that doesn't really affect us the way it would have affected them. This really offends the Pharisees. As far as the religious leaders were concerned, this is probably the most offensive thing that Jesus can actually say, about himself especially. Well, who does he think he is? God ordained the Sabbath. We already read the commandments. God set that day aside. He sanctified it. He made it holy, and he was serious about it. Listen to what he says about it in Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is the day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. There it is again. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's always been God who laid out the Sabbath law. So the Pharisees are thinking, for this guy Jesus to claim to be the Lord of the Sabbath, it means he's claiming to be God. And that means one of two things. Well, either he is God, or he's an extreme blasphemer. I don't know if you've ever heard the way C.S. Lewis puts it, but when he's talking to us and we talk about how God, Jesus couldn't have been this miracle worker, he was just a, a man who was a good moral teacher, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg. And I kind of had to laugh when I was reading this. If C.S. Lewis knew what people were identifying as, we're not far from poached egg. But he says, if, Jesus, if, if a man said the sort of things Jesus said, he'd either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Unfortunately, the Pharisees pursued the option of killing him as a demon. So as we read on, we see another example here then, another account of Jesus violating the Pharisees' Sabbath rules. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. 
So on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? What can they say? If they answer one way, they're condoning what he's doing. But if they answer the other way, they condemn what they're doing. And I, I, think, I think this this is probably the place, the best place to kind of go off script and deal with, with what just happened this morning. It's a perfect example of what, of what Jesus is talking about here. Yeah, we were all sitting in here. It's, the, it's our Sabbath. We're worshiping. But something happened that required need. The, the people that rushed out there to help didn't start to take a step and say, oh, it's the Sabbath, I can't do any work, I can't carry a blanket over, I can't rush out with first aid kit. No, this is exactly, it's perfect of what he's talking about. Where there's a need, you take care of the need, regardless of what day it is. So he asks them, is it, you know, what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good, to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. They don't know how to answer because they're, they're, they're trapped. So what do they do? They don't do anything. Mark's account of the story says, but they remained silent. And that's kind of hard to believe. You're in this synagogue with Jesus and his disciples, probably quite a few followers, plus the Pharisees, plus curious onlookers. The place is full of people, and Jesus has asked somebody to come forward that has a shriveled hand, and, he, and people are probably starting to whisper, murmur at that point, and, and the synagogue is kind of built like this where the voices carry, and it's just going to be kind of this, this low murmur kind of stuff going on. And he asks this question of the Pharisees, and I bet it was dead silent. I bet you could hear a pin drop. People were anxious to hear what these guys were going to answer. What were the Pharisees going to say? But the Pharisees have found themselves in a, in a verbal trap. So Jesus kind of, I don't know, he kind of answers for them in a way. He goes ahead. He says, verse 10, he looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Boy, Jesus has some nerve. The man's right hand was shriveled, sure, but that's not life-threatening. Jesus could have waited. This didn't have to happen on the Sabbath, did it? So why did he do it? Was he just trying to make the Pharisees mad? Was he just trying to prove a point to them? No. It was because the need was there, just like I said. We didn't run out. We didn't have people run out and say, "Look, if you're still here tomorrow, I'll be able to help you out. I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll come and give you everything that you need." But I can't do it today because it's Sunday. This is my Sabbath. No, the need was there. Jesus was there, so the so the answer was there. The healing was there. 
It, it was to be done right now. And that situation, and really the situation that God put in front of us this morning, demonstrates that God puts a high priority on showing mercy. God is compassionate. He wants us to be compassionate. He wants us to help others, regardless of what day it is. Jesus dedicated himself to serving others in need, and he expects the same from us. Taking a day off from showing mercy is not at all what the Sabbath was about. So Jesus heals the man, but he did it on the Sabbath. And you got to just grieve for these Pharisees. Instead of noticing the miracle that just happened, the way Jesus just restored this man's hand. Another reason to do it today is so that he can go out tomorrow and get a job. He's restored. He probably wasn't able to do his job. There's a reason they talk about it was his right hand. That's the hand that they used so much in greetings and in doing things. That's his dominant hand. Now he can go out and he can find work tomorrow instead of waiting till Jesus shows up and heals it and then gets, gets a job the next day. But the Pharisees, instead of noticing that miracle and rejoicing in the new life that this healed man can enjoy, they're looking at Jesus. And all they can see is religious violations by Jesus. I, I probably... I can't say that I wouldn't be there, but I like to think that if I'm in that situation and I just saw that and I look at Jesus and look back, look at, I might have to look back a few times, but boom, I would fall on my knees. He just healed this guy. Why are we not worshiping him? But they were more concerned about the religious violations. Verse 11, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And when it says furious, that's putting it mildly. The word that's translated here as furious, it it refers to irrational anger, pathological rage, almost the kind of road rage you see that goes on with people. They're, They're whipped up into a frenzy. They are so, so mad. Mark's account tells us Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now you know how angry they are. Now you know how full of rage they are. They hate him literally with a passion at this point. I told you that we're going to follow the life of Jesus through the book of Luke. And part of the goal is to see what events led to his crucifixion. Why did the Pharisees hate him so much? Why did they hate him enough that they wanted to kill him. Well, here's our first clue. Jesus is claiming to be God, and he's supporting his claims through miracles. But why would that anger the religious leaders? Well, Jesus is telling these religious leaders that what they're doing is is wrong. They're, They're going about this the wrong way. Salvation is not achievable through rituals and ceremonies. It's only attainable through faith in him. That's why prostitutes and tax collectors were coming to Jesus. He welcomed them, right? They never earned their spiritual respect from the Pharisees. So now the Pharisees hate Jesus. 
The Sabbath was their big day, their time to shine. It was an opportunity to put their self-righteousness on display. But the Pharisees had created so many laws, so many rules, so many regulations, so many restrictions about the Sabbath that they couldn't even enjoy it. They couldn't enjoy it the way God intended. The day that God had intended for people to slow down, to stop working, it was the busiest day of the week for them. The day with the most stress, the most worry. Not at all what God had in mind for the Sabbath. Excuse me. So what's in your Sabbath? The Sabbath was intended to be a day of rest, a day to recreate, recreate, a day to stop working, to make that day different from the rest of the week. Do you do that? Or is Sunday just as busy as every other day? Now, maybe you don't do the same types of activities that you do the rest of the week, but it's just as hectic and as nerve-wracking as the others. That's not what he wants. I was reading a conversation on the Internet. Someone wanted to know why Sunday is the busiest shopping day, especially at the grocery stores. Why is everybody shopping on grocery shopping on Sunday? And one response was, well, I slave all week. I'm exhausted on Saturday, so I sleep and I rest And then I have enough energy to go shopping on Sunday. Well, you know what? That's fine. Then be intentional about making Saturday your Sabbath. Take that day to rest. Take that day to recharge. Or for some of my younger friends, take that day to level up. uh Some of you get it. In video games, listen, in video games, you go through a certain level, your health points drop. Right, If you get to the end and you go to the next level, don't you get kind of a reset, right? You get more health back. That's the idea. That's what Sunday's all about. Spending time with God and with your family and getting, getting health points back again. I think I made a connection. <laughs> um, but now I've lost my place. <laughs> so the same thing, yeah. My example is for myself as well. Obviously, I work on Sundays too, right? So I take Tuesdays as my Sabbath. You know that I have off on Tuesday. Tuesday is a day to slow down, not do any church business. Now, I don't mind hearing about somebody that goes into the hospital. or you know, I want to know about that kind of stuff, but I'm not going to take care of any business, any church business on a Tuesday. But our Sabbath isn't just about taking it easy. That's a large part of it. But don't forget about God. Make it a day that you spend some time with him. Otherwise, those health points aren't going to be 100%. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about being perfectly healthy, and spiritual health was a part of it as well. God wants you to stop. He wants you to cease striving and remember that he is God, to remember that he has ordained a day, whether it's Sunday, Saturday, or Tuesday, But he has ordained a day especially for you, designed for you to just stop and to rest with him. There's a little proverb you might have already heard. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. That's a win for him. When you're busy, you tend to focus on lots of things besides God. So create a break in your busyness. Set aside one day to rest. God did. And he did it, actually, for your benefit. Let's pray. 
Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you that you gave us an example. We thank you that you love us enough that you want us to just stop and to rest, to recharge, to build those health points back up. Father, help us to recognize where we could uh, take a few things out of our Sabbath and spend a little more time with you, with family, or just with ourselves. Just, just resting, getting away from the hectic rest of the week, and giving us a chance to hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you to stand now and join me in singing our final hymn, number 452. So as you leave here, go with the peace of God, with the comfort of God. Just allow him to give you rest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
。